Everything that exists in this dreamlike reality is a cheap copy of a true counterpart. Being a copy subject to imperfection, having been created in the image of its creator, it may look meaningless to the observer. However, covered behind the previously mentioned curtain, or veil if you prefer, is a corresponding truth that attempts to use the imperfect constructs of reality to direct its own emanations, or uncreated beings, to itself. The motivation of truth is that its own emanations recognize their true essence instead of identifying with their false substance. It is such, this recalling, this realization, that it is sensed as having always been there, even often causing the disappearance or haziness of memories previously in line with an identified character played by a false substance, like an ego mask. Matter as a word comes from the Latin mater, which means mother. The material and physical reality has, often, therefore, been compared in myth to a mother's womb and the image of a mother nature, a sort of feminine quality and even assigned sentience to the matter with which all things exist, is evidently found in several cultures. I will therefore postulate that, effectively, matter is made up of feminine qualities, bearing the potential of all things. Yet, by observing reality, we can see that for this potential to manifest, it seems to require a guiding force, an idea or direction. But it also seems to be always rejecting itself and the results of its own creative endeavor. The feminine quality of matter seems to, at the same time, yearn for the participation in the creative process applied on it, and to reject its result. The association between time and matter is a curse to one half of the feminine that would wish the created construct held on to its uh, held on its own eternally, and a blessing to the other half of the feminine that finds the resulting creation abhorrent. The split feminine nature within reality, whose most basic evidence is matter but that can be observed within the relationship of manifest constructs, such as humans, is essential to understand for both the women and men among us. It is so important because it is in the reality one of the key clues to the truth behind the curtain. Now, the masculine is also a divided force in reality. Its word, father, that comes from the Latin pater, has been attempted to be associated with the priesthood in the Western mind through Peter, the founder or father of the church in canonical Christianity. I mean, Rome had Jupiter, which means father deity, and was at the time the equivalent to the Greek Zeus. In any case, all Christian priests are called fathers, but so are the more or less idolized founders of the American United States branch. None of them come from truth. The masculine is the force that provides a directive to creation, through idea, yet the, the fact that the feminine keeps rejecting their joint creation results, as Mother Nature always consumes what Mother Nature first nurtures, should show us that the relationship between feminine and masculine is of exceptional importance to define and leave reality. The masculine is also divided in two, as said, a part that wants to indulge in creation to become a false god, 
and the part that rejects it, that wants to be a truth servant. However, the particular situation of the masculine is that it is in him, that is, in the directive force, that the key for the couple currently lies. He holds the key and she the lock. But the lock is hidden beyond the body, beyond the gaze of worldly eyes. I will attempt, um, daringly and boldly, to contemplate on the interactions between these two forces in reality and infer what the truth behind that curtain may be whispering at the couple. Since this is impossible without words, I will tell you a short tale, and it will be up to you to read beyond it, not to decode it merely, but to let it flow into the living essence to which you are connected, to apply your alchemy to it. This short story will only contain a vague outline and will not go into deeper intricacies. And if you find anything offensive or insulting in it, well, just apply alchemy as well, okay? Again, the short story I will try to tell in this narrative format is to be interpreted and never taken literally. The feminine voice will be recorded by my girlfriend, say hi to her people, and also, I will try to conclude this recording before I am stoned to death by enraged feminists. I think I can hear a crowd gathering outside already, so wish me luck. Well, here goes. A fallen woman feels connection with creation itself, being herself a creator at heart. She is compelled towards nature because she is a mirror of it internally. She feels, nevertheless, that something is missing, something that is supposed to be there, that is there with her, in her true state outside of reality, and that she feels compelled to look for. That something is man. Now man, in his fallen state, he is but a child god, a slave to the senses and temptations, and a steward to a throne that is not his. Fallen woman meets fallen man, and they recognize each other despite any appearances. However, both of them are subconsciously looking for more in each other than this fallen relationship. In her contact with the nature of reality, she often embraces the dragon, which is reality's source of power, the instrument of creation whose voice is hers. So she seeks her savior, the knight that arrives from the outside and defeats the dragon guarding her and being guarded by her. That is her dual psychological predicament. On the one hand, she enjoys the dragon's power and is enamored with it. On the other, she wants freedom from it and a return to her true state, of which there is but a vague, foggy memory, if anything. Yet the man she meets is not the savior she expected, for he does not wrestle with the dragon wrapped around her, but seems to be more aligned with it. So he is a dragon too. I will make of him a dragon god under my power as I wield the cup of both poison and forgiveness. She is the cup-bearer. She has power of both life and death of both creation and destruction. She is the priestess, the lady within this lake of sensation and creation that can make me king among my peers. So he willingly seeks her as she beckons him, 
In her inner sanctum she poisons him, makes him drink from her cup. He, who already willed to become a god through her, falls deeper into a sensuous stupor. I am a king, I am a god. If nothing else, I am her king and god. She is the source of my power. He is a god and he is mine. When he hurts me, I will forgive, and when he pleases me, I will hurt him, for only I have power over gods. For I am the lady who walks with the dragon. He will always need the drink my cup holds to subsist, for pleasure or pain. I am the god-maker. Every time he was tempted to drink from her cup of poison and forgiveness, he gave in. Every time he gave in, she rewarded him with more godhood. Every time she saw him give in to be God through her cup, she grew a hidden disappointment towards him. Because he was not the knight who came to slay the dragon and take her away. She was God-maker, but what insignificant fate for her to be deifier of junky demigods. For she was not with her true God of pure love, who lies lost beyond veils of darkness and creation, the one she truly seeks but has forgotten in her drunkenness. The demigod, made so by the potions of the fallen state, moves away one day. A creeping thought had been calling him from among the chatter of deification and victimhood. He departs and resists the appeals of the cup she holds. In it, men dream and act and are consumed, but never truly live and never truly love. So he stops and contemplates. And as he does so, as he sees his predicament for what it is, without denial, without confusion, he then becomes truly a warrior, a knight. He knows then what must be done. He returns to her, but his eyes are not burning for her temptations of pleasure and pain. He seems brighter, uncreated, timeless. She tries to offer him a welcoming drink off her cup. He refuses silently. No reaction, no anger, no embarrassment as usual. Had her power waned? She panics, for if her cup no longer seduces, how can she make and break gods? She provokes him, tries to hurt him, to pierce his pride. He was always heavy on pride. Surely he will react. Surely he will hurt her and she will then forgive, as a godmaker does after being worshipped. Nothing. No reaction. She feels doomed on the surface, but a creeping joy begins to spread from somewhere within. She had looked for so long, she grew herself addicted to being cupbearer, godmaker. Is this what meeting her knight is like? What is this struggle that seems to make of her soul a battlefield? Is he silently slaying her dragon? He turns away and leaves. She feels compelled to stop him, stuck between dying and being renewed. The dragon hisses inside her as if being punctured by a mighty lance, but there is no wound in her, no wound except his walking away in silence. She finally spills the cup on the ground, and the potions of her power are drunk by the earth. No more will she make gods out of fallen men, because she has been redeemed. The dragon she embraced, slain as it was by a silent 
tongue that was a luminous spear, a loving heart that was a radiant, indestructible shield, and a tranquil mind that was a crown of the highest kingdom. She finally recognized him. Wait, you have destroyed me, wounded me with your serenity, destroyed my dragon and my old skin with one silent blow. I bleed my fallen soul away and feel it melting under my feet. I have come back for you and am now no longer a fallen god, but a servant of truth. I have been redeemed by truth, and through me truth redeemed you. Now we are the couple we were meant to be, before the fall into reality. Now we can rip open the curtain of this world and go back home. She had tested him with all manners of addictions from her cup of poison and forgiveness. He had filled the test so many times, and each time he failed he was rewarded, and each time she lost herself deeper in the dragon embrace. In her stead there was this cup-bearer, a lady in a lake of illusion, seducing him to the vice of kings. So he left her, and he sought. He sought and he found. And having found, he needed no more reward, and could now see, and love, and live. And as her temptations no longer affected him, the dragon was slain, and she was free. And her lock, now revealed beneath the corpse of the dragon that once guarded her, was opened by his silent key, and the world curtain lifted. They lived on in the world, did worldly things like all worldly things, but the world no longer lived in them, its weight had been lifted. They were free and living the blessing of time, that dissolves all falsehood back to itself. Truth is always there, waiting for their time to come.